Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to The Corbett Report. I'm your host, as always, James Corbett, and today is June 16th, a.k.a. FLNWO Day, and I surely hope that all the good boys and girls in the class have done their homework today because we have a doozy to dissect. I'm referring, of course, to Charlie Wilson's War, the 2007 Hollywood drama starring America's national treasure, Tom Hanks, and sweetheart, Julia Roberts, uh, based on the true story of the the quote-unquote true story of Charlie Wilson, the sleazy Texas congressman with a heart of gold who takes up the Afghan's cause after visiting a refugee camp during the Soviet-Afghan war. He then uses his leverage on the hill to drum up quote-unquote $500 million in the quote-unquote largest covert operation ever, nudge, nudge, wink, wink, which is a complete success in terms of getting those damn Ruskies out of Afghanistan. But what have they done if now a bunch of stirred-up crazies are converging on Kabul like it's a second Mecca? Dun, dun, dun. Yes, what could possibly be wrong about a narrative like that, presented by those wholesome folks in Hollywood? Well, joining us today to tell you exactly what is wrong with a narrative like that is our old friend Pierce Redmond of Porkins Policy Review at the Carpal Tunnel Inducing Address, PorkinsPolicyReview.wordpress.com. <laughs> Or you can just go to CorbettReport.com and click on the link in the show notes. Pierce, thank you, as always, for your time. Oh, thank you so much for inviting me on the show again, James. Excellent. Well, thank you for being here. And I, I really um, am excited to talk about this. And I'm excited to have the opportunity to talk about this movie because it was one that came up in a conversation that you were having uh, talking about predictive programming and Wag the Dog. And I heard you mention Charlie Wilson's War as another very interesting example of, uh, of the type of um, predictive programming that comes out of Hollywood. And that's set off a series of triggers for me because I knew about the movie and I had read a lot of articles about the movie when it came out and what it was about and and uh, and, and sort of the, the inaccuracies of it. But I actually never saw the movie until today. I actually watched it today for the first time ever. Um, so I'm absolutely fresh off of watching it. So um, that is that. So I, actually, my first ever experience of actually seeing the movie was today, obviously, seven years deep into the Corbett Report and somewhat, I would like to think, somewhat well versed in uh, in the Soviet Afghan war and what was really happening there. So I understood exactly what this this movie was trying to do and what it was about. But I understand that your first experience watching this movie happened in a very different context. Yeah, um, I actually went and saw this movie when it came out in 2007, I think, uh, with my father in the theater, and it did have a somewhat uh, profound effect on me at the time, and this was uh, just as, just before I was, I was going into college, and uh, you know, it, it, my mind was still sort of uh, wrapped up in, in the official story of 9-11, and certainly the official story of of Al-Qaeda and, and the Soviet-Afghan war. And yeah, this movie uh, really kind of did a number on me for a while and was uh, very, uh, you know, good at sort of pushing pushing away all these little nagging questions that, that a lot of people, I think, had at the time, especially in 2007 when it seemed like U.S. foreign policy was just so horrible on so many levels. And, and this movie really helped to kind of... Uh, reinforce those, those notions that no, no, this is, you know, yeah, the, we, we did fund the Mujahideen, but uh, we didn't fund Al-Qaeda. No, no, no way, no way. That was just those, those crazies, you know, those stirred up Muslims, as uh, Brzezinski would say. You know, if that movie had come out in 2005 or 2006, uh, early 2006, and if I had seen it at that time, I think I would have had the exact same reaction to it, because it does fit so nicely into a certain mm. model of understanding of what happened during that era. And it's a model that, in fact, you and I talked about in our first conversation when you had me on your program to talk about the idea of blowback. Yes. Blowback, yes. yes. Of course, this is one of the main underlying themes and, of course, very heavily dropped in at the end there of the movie. So for people who have, I, I, I hope everyone who's listening to this has watched the movie by now, you'll know what we're talking about, where blowback definitely becomes the the, the very explicit theme of the end of the movie and, of course, ends with a quote from Charlie Wilson very explicitly talking about that. And, uh, of course, in our conversation about blowback um, back on Porkins Policy Review, of course, we mentioned uh, Chalmers Johnston, who wrote uh, the book, literally the book on blowback. And wouldn't you know it, Chalmers Johnston, of course, wrote a, uh, a piece on Charlie Wilson's war called Imperialist Propaganda, Second Thoughts on Charlie Wilson's War. It's up at TomDispatch.com. I'll put the link in the show notes. And wouldn't you know it, <laughs> he, uh, he takes the uh, the movie to task for not being enough uh, uh, promoting enough the idea of wait for it 
blowback, yes. Uh, I'll just read uh, the operative paragraph uh, from the the review. In a secret ceremony at CIA headquarters on June 9th, 1993, James Wolsey, Bill Clinton's first director of central intelligence and one of the agency's least competent chiefs in its checkered history, said, The defeat and breakup of the Soviet Empire is one of the great events of world history. There were many heroes in, in this battle, but to Charlie Wilson must go a special recognition. One important part of that recognition, studiously avoided by the CIA and most subsequent subsequent American writers on the subject, is that Wilson's activities in Afghanistan led directly to a chain of blowback that culminated in the attacks of September 11, 2001, and led to the United States' current status as the most hated nation on Earth. So exactly what you're talking about there, Pierce, with your own mm. personal um, experience of this, this, this movie back in 2007, still trapped in that, that pro- propaganda matrix and, and uh, understanding it from within that rubric, of course, the, uh, the blowback theory is so appealing because it connects so many of the pieces of this puzzle in a way that, uh, that allows us to understand how we went from 9-11 to Iraq, for example, and how it all, how it all pieces together and it all goes back to Afghanistan and it's all one piece of a puzzle so it, it puts it together in, in that way that's that's intellectually appealing but of course it's not really um, <laughs> an accurate picture of what really happened is it so let's start dissecting a little bit about this and I guess we'll start now at the end of the, the movie as we're talking about that and, and the idea of this blowback why don't we talk about the the excluded pieces of this story from the movie that uh, that uh, that basically counter the 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 narrative that we're supposed to believe that this was all just some oh random happenstance wouldn't you know it somehow or other all these these arms ended up in the wrong hands and wouldn't you know it 911 happened <laughs> Oh yeah I mean I think we could um even just quickly start um before the the events in in this film you know the the movie more or less starts in 1980 but you could go back as far as 1973 in Afghanistan and look at the history there which they completely leave out now obviously this is a, a Hollywood movie and there is a limited amount of time and the movie is fairly long as it is but just looking uh, back there I mean we've got a series of coups that gets rid of the monarchy in Afghanistan and puts in power the PDPA, which is the People's Democratic Party of, of Afghanistan, which uh, is communist, and uh, for a time is ruled under a man called Mohammed Dawood Khan, and, uh, but, you know, is played with problems, uh, and then in around 1978, he uh, is overthrown in another coup, and this brings in a man by the name of uh, Taraki, and he struggled very much um, with the Mujahideen, and as, again, as his not pointed out whatsoever in the movie. The Mujahideen existed in the, the late, uh, mid to late 70s in Afghanistan, and they were funded by uh, two of America's uh, great, wonderful uh, proxies at the time, and, and one still is, Pakistan and Iran. And, uh, you know, of course, this is completely left out whatsoever in the narrative. Um, and, and I think that that's an important part in sort of uh, dismissing this notion of blowback because, as I was saying, these groups existed already. And the U.S. was helping to fund them, uh, you know, in the late 70s, sort of uh, not so much. Um, but, yeah, you know, th- this, this was going on. And But, but that, fact- that is so important. And let's take a moment to, to reflect on that because it's something that I'm not sure I would have really noticed or thought about if I was watching this movie without knowing much about the Soviet-Afghan war, but there really is absolutely no context to this war provided. All it is is you see, oh, there's these Russian helicopters strafing these Afghans, and yeah. and who knows why, they're just, they're commie pinkos. I mean, this is what they do, basically, <laughs> is is sort of the narrative. And and I think from the, the logic of the story, it just, you know, you just go with it, and it just makes sense, so you don't think about it. But it's <laughs> it's a pretty important thing. How did this war start? Where did it come from? What was the purpose? And uh, and just to highlight what you're talking about there, the kind of disconnect between the official story of the Soviets just kind of spontaneously invaded, and uh, and and the America was so appalled at it, versus the truth of what you're talking about, that there was support to the, the Mujahideen before the Soviets invaded. Let's look, actually, at uh, state.gov, the official state department website has its official uh, uh, Soviet invasion of Afghanistan history, which again, I'll link in the show notes. And it says, uh, it, it gives that spiel you're talking about with the 73 uh, coup uh, and then the 78 uh, 
counter or continuing coup and and all of that back and forth with the, within the PDPA and and it gets to the point of the uh, the kind of Soviet buildup and 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 then the the invasion and it says although the Carter administration had closely watched this buildup from the outset its reaction following the invasion revealed that until the end it clung to the hope that the Soviets would not invade based on the unjustified assumption that Moscow would conclude that the costs of invasion were too high in response Carter wrote a sharply worded letter to Brezhnev denouncing Soviet aggression and during his State of the Union address he announced his own doctrine vowing to protect Middle Eastern oil supplies from encroaching Soviet power <laughs> the administration also enacted economic sanctions and trade embargoes against the Soviet Union called for a boycott of the 1980 Moscow Olympics and stepped up its aid to the Afghan insurgents oh, no. boycott of the Olympics uh, it sounds vaguely similar to yes, the yeah. <laughs> run up of what we're seeing now in sum these actions were Washington's collective attempt to make the Soviets adventure in Afghanistan as painful and brief as possible so this is the actual official history of the State Department that's up on the website today uh, last modified October 31st 2013 which of course goes exactly counter to the admitted admitted firsthand personal account of Carter's national security advisor and no stranger to corporate report listeners Zbigniew Brzezinski who uh, in 1998 provided an interview to Le Nouvel Observateur that I've quoted before, but let's just quote it again. He said in that interview, quote, According to the official version of history, CIA to the Mujahideen began during 1980, that is to say, after the Soviet army invaded Afghanistan on December 24, 1979. But the reality, closely guarded until now, is completely otherwise. Indeed, it was July 3rd, 1979, that President Carter signed the first directive for secret aid to the opponents of the pro-Soviet regime in Kabul. And that very day, I wrote a note to the president in which I explained to him that in my opinion this aid was going to induce a soviet military intervention and then the 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 interviewer asks him oh well so you actually tried to provoke the war and he says oh it wasn't quite like that we didn't push (laughs) the russians to intervene but we knowingly increased the probability that they would so i i i don't know what the difference is there except something happening in brzezinski's mind but but anyway so so the official history on the state department website goes counter to what brzezinski has publicly admitted about uh about operation cyclone as we now understand it which again did start before the soviet invasion so it's yeah i mean so you can see how a hollywood production could completely leave that part of the story out and no one would blink twice about it because again no one even questions the state department on this propaganda that they put up on their their website it's just another infuriating part of of all of this that the the propaganda isn't even sophisticated they just lie they just flat out lie Mm, yeah oh absolutely and i mean the, the only time we ever see the russians in the in the movie in charlie wilson's war is uh when they're you know, butchering uh, women and children in helicopters. There's no context. There's no explanation um, about why they're there. And and again, just going back, um, you know, in history a little bit, the Soviets did not want to go there whatsoever. Um, and it, it took, uh, you know, several years of the Afghan communist government pleading and pleading with them to send arms and weapons and, and you know, advisors and stuff. And eventually the Soviets did acquiesce. Um, and, and in large part because they saw that the United States was, was funding the Mujahideen. And, you know, they, they saw this as some sort of, uh, you know, foreign element in their perceived sphere of influence. So they did want to get involved. But, um, you know, again, this is, this is totally left out. There, there is no explanation. And instead it is just that, uh, oh man, you know, the, the Soviets hate religion. So they, they want to go and wipe out all the Muslims and, 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 uh, you know, oppress them and, and, oh, God forbid, uh, you know, if, if Afghanistan goes, then the rest of the world will, will soon follow after that. Uh, and you know, that, that's the, the kind of storyline that we're presented in Charlie Wilson's war. That's exactly right. Again, an extremely important part of the story that's left out. Um, and and there are so many others, but I think one of the most glaring is a pretty interesting one. In fact, it's not again, it's not a, an excluded part. Well, it is partly excluded. It's partly a lie. Uh, in the film, they quite explicitly mention um, that the U.S. support is ultimately ending up in the hands of Ahmad Ahmad Shah Massoud, 
who mm. of course was the the leader of the, the 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 northern front the northern alliance whatever they were called um who was uh, who, whose name should ring a bell to those who are in, interested in 9-11 because of course he was assassinated two days before 9-11 in a fake interview where, where the fake interviewee smuggled in a camera bomb and uh, blew him up um, an interesting piece of of that puzzle and perhaps related to to 9-11 itself but but um but the the movie explicitly mentions his name just in passing, just I believe in one single reference. Where is this money ultimately going? It's going to Ahmad Shah Massoud and the Northern Alliance. Um, very interesting because, of course, that is not true. Um, there's an excellent article up on Alternate by Melissa Roddy. Uh, Tom Hanks tells Hollywood Whopper in Charlie Wilson's War, where she writes about this and uh, and cites Milt Bearden, the CIA chief of station in Pakistan, who. Again, I hope we'll be familiar to longtime viewers of The Corbett Report because I put him in my last word on Osama bin Laden where he actually said, I think it was on 9-11 itself, it might have been 9-12, uh, they had him on uh, on CBS, I believe, and he said uh, Osama bin Laden is the perfect, I, I don't think he used the word boogeyman, maybe he used the word enemy, <laughs> but uh, he said something to the effect of if, this, if he didn't exist, the CIA would have had to invent him. <laughs> he actually <laughs> said that on air in the hours after 9-11. Pretty interesting. Um, anyway, uh, Milt Bearden is kind of the go-to guy for the official story of, of what happened in Afghanistan, and he even, he admitted Massoud received less than 1% of the CIA, uh, of the U.S. money that was filtering through there. Um, f- more than 40% of it went to Golbadin Hekmatyar. So, uh, who is Golbadin Hekmatyar, Piers? Uh, he is a, a um, one of these brutal warlords who um, existed in Afghanistan. Um, you know, again, he, he was not, uh, you know, he didn't just come out of nowhere. This guy existed for, a, you know, a while there. Uh, he was extremely powerful, and he um, was somewhat, you know, religiously oriented, and he was sort of the um, the ISI sort of go to guy, um, you know, in in funding and right. And ISI, just for the listeners, the ISI is the Pakistani um, intelligence service, yeah. the uh, the CIA of yeah. Pakistan, basically. Yeah, and and uh, Pakistan had a very good working relationship with him, and um, you know Hekmatar was able to um, uh, he was able to appeal to to the Pashtuns, which um, it, and they, they sort of uh, you know kind of sort of mention that in in the in Charlie Wilson's War when they're talking about uh, Masood and where the money is going, and they they make mention, oh, he's a Tajik, so uh, you know the, the Pashtuns don't like him very much. Um, the and Tajiks true. have a saying when they when they're looking yes. for a good woman, they find a, pa- a Pashtun man. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, and and you know, and exa- again, all of these sort of serious things are, are are done with that in the movie, where it's sort of a little joke, like <laughs> you know, isn't this uh, isn't this funny? And and uh, you know, Philip Seymour Hoffman makes some, you know, oh, it's it's funnier in the original Patch too, um, but it's not really that funny. And uh, you know, yeah, in reality, this is where most of the money was going. And again, uh, as the ISI was was flooding him with money, he was then flooding groups like the Taliban, like Al-Qaeda, uh, these, you know, and, and the, the uh, Arab Afghans as well. Uh, and so this is really where, where the money, in fact, was going. And, and again, he was very connected to the heroin trade, which is one of the, you know, biggest, biggest glaring uh, things in the movie that is just not touched upon whatsoever is the heroin trade. And, and he was deeply involved with that as well. Um, and, uh, I believe he's, he's still around. He's still, he's still kicking it in Afghanistan, right? You know, I actually have no idea what he's doing today. I have no idea if he's alive. I, I, I it's certainly possible. I, I really I honestly is, don't know. I, yeah. And don't yeah. quote me on that. I'm not sure. Well, yes, so you're exactly right. Obviously he was intimately connected and, and, uh, a, a man on the ground for the facilitation of the of the opium trade, which of course has been and continues to be to this very day an absolutely essential part of Afghan operations, and of course we'll point to the works of Peter Dale Scott for more about that and uh, the road to nine eleven and other places where he mentions what was happening in in Afghanistan and and how this all connects into BCCI, the Bank for Crooks and, and uh, Criminals yes. International, um, which was a key part of the funding in the early stages of of this operation before it became the quote-unquote, largest covert operation in CIA history. And I think we should at least tackle that that idea, because I, I think that idea is ridiculous. I mean, as if as if the real 
most the largest uh, uh, CIA operation in, in, in history, covert operation in history, is actually public knowledge, right? Nudge, nudge, wink, wink, trust us well, on yeah, that. Oh, yeah, they would make a, yeah, yeah, make I mean, a Hollywood movie about it. Yeah, exactly, exactly, celebrated in a Hollywood movie. And uh, But here's something I didn't understand about the movie, and I don't think this was, well, I don't know if this was propaganda, but I didn't understand. Um, they were talking about, uh, so so Charlie Wilson was on this Defense Appropriations Committee, and the, the basically the premise of the story, in fact, it was described quite quite well in a 9-11 blogger uh, piece by uh, Reprehensor, um, who wrote uh, that this is a, a Cinderella story where that, that came out of nowhere, that, that they present this as if, you know, Charlie Wilson kind of stumbled onto this and took it up as a cause and just suddenly he was on the Defense Appropriation Committee, so basically managed to, you know, pull some strings and, and get the, the funds flowing. And and the movie makes a big point about how, he, you know, at the end, the, the Appropriations Committee manages to get $500 million um, sent over uh, for, for the aid to the Mujahideen, and that's matched by $500 million from Saudi Arabia. So that leads to a grand total of $1 billion. Yes, billion with a B. And uh, Julie Roberts, you know, is startled at the figure. Um <laughs> but the uh, the official history uh, this isn't disputed this isn't this isn't i mean i've i've heard this in a lot of places uh uh 3.5 billion and i've heard 5 billion as well k- kicked around in terms of total funding so i I'm, I'm not sure if there was just other funding going on other than that defense appropriations committee that's portrayed in the movie or i i, I they got their numbers wrong i i don't know what that was about I think it was a deliberate, uh, you know, mischaracterization. Yeah, I, I've heard exactly as much as $5 billion. And, uh, I mean, again, when we're, we're talking about uh, covert ops, um, drug trafficking, uh, we mentioned BCCI. I mean, these are these are massive financial institutions when you get down to it. And uh, e- even something like $5 billion is a lot, but I, I could easily see it being much more than that. Um, yeah, I think it. I think it, it's a, a mischaracterization. I think that people, I, I, you know, I know when I saw it, I was like one billion. Now, I mean, that that is a lot of money, especially in in the eighties. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, this again, yeah, the idea that that the largest covert operation in, in history uh, that they would make a, a Hollywood film about it, uh, it's very interesting in and of itself. And sort of along the same lines and so you know in the in the periphery of operation cyclone what do we have is is of course iran contra another one of these uh, very big very financially lucrative uh covert operations going on and you know no mention whatsoever despite the fact that you know oliver north and a lot of these other characters um were on the periphery involved in operation cyclone i mean this was all sort of if we could, you know, we can kind of look at it as one big kind of global operation. Uh, and again, Iran Contra, uh, Iran was involved uh, somewhat in the Afghan Soviet war, even later into the 80s as well. But yeah, I mean, there, there, there's, there's, you know, these covert operations, there's a lot more going on. There's a lot of, you know, wheels in motion. So yeah, to think that $1 billion, uh, and that's really nothing. You know, nowadays, I mean, I mean, and we're also talking, uh, you know, they make it seem in the movie that the CIA and this is, you know, classic CIA propaganda in Hollywood, that the CIA is this sort of ragtag group of uh, patriots, you know, who are are a little bit odd, kind of quirky. But ultimately, they're beholden to uh, this this one obscure congressman as one as the the Pakistan Station chief says in the movie, you know, how did, how does this guy have no particular importance? How is he controlling this whole thing? <laughs> and uh, you know, the CIA has no budget, and and they do kind of say that in the movie, but they you know they they say, oh well, it's an unlimited budget, but yeah, we we still have to go through Congress. And the idea again that that the you know the CIA is beholden to this uh, obscure congressman of no particular importance is so ridiculous and, and it just sort of reinforces this whole notion that the CIA is good and that ultimately there is someone uh you know in charge of the purse strings um whereas in reality the CIA can either just make up the money out of nowhere or uh, which what they do more more likely is they use things like drugs or uh, banking and things like that, and you can just create this money and and use it for whatever you want. Um, but you know, but that that's a running theme throughout the whole movie. This idea that yeah, Charlie is is really kind of controlling this whole thing, and I think that's I think that's ultimately kind of why 
we know the name Charlie Wilson um, so that we can kind of look to him and say, oh, yeah, that that was the guy who helped fund, uh, you know, the operations and, and Operation right. Cyclone. Right, exactly. And, and I know you I, I know the sense in which you mean that the, why we know the name Charlie Wilson. But of course, we, we know the name Charlie Wilson because we're talking about Charlie Wilson's war. It's literally <laughs> called Charlie Wilson's right. war. I mean, it's it's yeah. just the most blatant piece of propaganda of all of it. I mean, it's the title of the movie, which is uh, pretty, pretty blatant. Um, but you're exactly right about that. It, it does try to hang it all on Charlie Wilson and, and make it look like everything is just going around because this one congressman went to this one refugee camp and had this, you know, saw the light and, and whatever. Um, and you're right. I mean, it is such a ridiculous story. Um, I, I, they kind of touched this on this. I was watching some sort of... Um, uh, not behind the scenes, some kind of, you know, extra uh, interviews with the actors kind of thing on, on YouTube. And uh, I'll put the link in the show notes if I'm indeed thinking of the right thing that I was watching. And they, they actually said something to the effect of um, basically Charlie Wilson was such a notorious kind of womanizer and booze hound and, and didn't really, I mean, wasn't taken seriously by anyone. Good and, time, Charlie. Uh, yeah, exactly. And that's that's why it worked so well, because the, the Soviets saw that this was, you know, coming through this congressman and that no one took seriously. So they didn't take it seriously or whatever something like that so um so even that that even kind of figures into the uh, the official story but uh but you're you're right about that but but on that note i mean it uh, one of the interesting little things that they threw in there obviously is just kind of a jokey joke scene but i think it if you stop to think about it has some interesting implications is the scene where he's in his office uh charlie wilson is in his office and he's dealing simultaneously with uh gust uh, whatever his <laughs> name is um the the cia uh liaison who he's working with and he's also dealing with this scandal this justice department investigation the task force that's investigating um basically drugs and corruption in congress and senate and um so he's sending the cia guy out of the room uh and then his staffers come in and tell him about the justice department thing and the the, the pr thing that they're writing to to answer the 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 press about the investigation and then they go out and the cia come guy comes back in and they're doing it that way so that mm. uh so that the cia um liaison doesn't hear any of this and then he comes back in and basically repeats part of the conversation and and uh, charlie wilson tom hanks gets angry and says you know how did how did you hear through that door and he said oh i didn't i got i bugged your bottle and and so there he's got a bug on like he gave him a bottle of whiskey as a present so he's got a bug on this bottle and he's listening to what the congressman says and they just kind of casually insert yeah the cia is spying on congress as just this kind of jokey type of thing that's just kind of dropped in there oh oh you cia guys you're you're so wacky as if as if the the implication i mean i think that really does i mean probably not like that but i mean that type of spying i mean we we have russ tice and others talking about the nsa uh, spying on congressmen and, and others so i mean I th- i'm sure that really does go on but that's an incredibly profoundly important thing for this this illusion of of republic uh, the, the the representative democracy that supposedly exists in the united states yeah the intelligence services are spying on congressmen so i just thought that was just interesting because obviously i think they just meant it as just some sort of joke to dropped in there but if you actually stop and think about the implications of that that's pretty interesting but it, it it's it's it, you're exactly right that's in the context of sort of portraying all of these CIA people is just I mean they're they're kind of quirky and they might be geeky they they kind yeah. of know what they're talking about on on the subjects that they know but they seem kind of just lost in the bigger world Oh yeah yeah of course all all of the characters we've got this uh guy Mike Vickers who's the he's sort of the weapons guy that they go to and you know he's portrayed as is kind of goofy but you know super intelligent and and the scene we see with him he's playing like four games of chess with different people and he knows everything and this this character is still in the defense department right now um, but you know he he's one of these guys. Gust, the Philip Seymour Hoffman character. Uh, yeah, this scene is you know he he's like funny and and he's really committed and you know he he's always uh, you know he 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 seems to be the the kind of the one guy who who's sane and and he's you know from like a working class family and you know he keeps reiterating this idea that uh, America doesn't fight religious wars. Uh, no, just just only ideological ones. And this man Gust. <laughs> Uh, Ad- Advocados, I think is his last name. He was instrumental in, you know, bringing about probably the most brutal uh, government in Greece. You know what I mean? He was deeply involved in this and, and helped to murder people, helped to put the, the junta in power in Greece. So, you know, this guy uh, is not a nice person at all and, and has made a very, uh, before he passed away, made a very big 
uh, point of, of you know constantly saying that oh yeah you know they they those, those certain people they screwed up the whole Operation Cyclone when they, they brought religion into this uh, and again just going back to Brzezinski you know before Charlie Wilson uh, idiotically dressed up like an Afghan to receive a, a Stinger missile. Um, you know, Brzezinski was in a, uh, was in Pakistan on the border, uh, giving the the same kind of speech, uh, talking about that this is a religious war and that you have God on your side. So from the very beginning, this was a religious conflict. Uh, exactly and, right. And 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 what was the uh, the the head of the Appropriations Committee who delivered that speech in the movie? Um, oh, uh, what is it, Doc Long? Doc Long. <laughs> I was about yeah. to say something. <laughs> slightly different yes doc long delivers this speech and and as he was delivering it i mean i i i assumed they were actually using that that brzezinski speech as kind of the template for it because it's it is i mean it's so obvious once you've seen the the brzezinski footage of him you know your your cause is right and god is on your side and and it's the exact same scene basically it's just there it's doc long delivering it in the movie Mm-hmm. And yeah, and, and throughout the movie, you know, there is this constant theme that that's that's not right. You know, that that's that's bad. And we've got the Julia Roberts character, uh, Joanne Herring, who is this kind of uh, right wing anti communist, um, you know, uh, Christian conservative, who of course seems to use you know sex to curry favor with just about anyone who she can. You know, that this is, you know, a morally upstanding woman. Um, but, uh, you know, and that that scene is, oh, we, you know, we can't do that. And Gus is always saying, you know, you got to tell her to tone it down. And, it, and it, it's just it's again, it's one of these sort of little, you know, covert ways of, of implanting into the minds of the American public that, right, you know, we were doing the right thing when we were funding these. Uh, you know, rural farmers, and that that that's really what this whole thing was about. And then, unfortunately, damn, you know, a few bad apples. Uh, you know, the, those pesky Pakistanis that gave the wrong money. The same with the Saudis, and that's what you know. That's what caused all this to to kind of go to hell in a handbasket. But of course, this is not really true. And and from the very beginning, this was uh was always framed as a religious a religious conflict in the sense that the Soviets were anti-religion and that they were oppressing the Muslims. Right. Well, it, it was largely about protecting the rural farmers, as long as the rural farmers were farming opium um, for right. their poppy yes. crop. Yeah, exactly. Well, uh, all right. So, well, it, it, okay, we've talked about a lot of the issues, and there are more, and I'm sure we could continue talking about them. But but the question, of course, then becomes, well, how much of this is just Hollywood being Hollywood and making it into a Hollywoodization, and how much of it is deliberately inserted propaganda? And thankfully, we have answers to that. Um, we can turn back to that alternate article that I talked about uh, earlier, where... Um, uh, it goes on to note that uh, the, the, it, they talk about that joke that we mentioned earlier um, uh, that uh, you put two Afghans in a room uh, sorry, no, you, when a Tajik man wants to make love to a woman, his first choice is a Pashtun man uh, ha, ha. Um, but it uh, it goes on to point out that this is this is propaganda that's been inserted into the movie um, quote unquote, uh, quote, because it supports the idea that Afghans are just too tribal to get along, they've always fought with each other as, w- as Wilson once said to me, Charlie Wilson, the actual Charlie Wilson once said to me you put two Afghans in a room, you end up with seven factions <laughs> the trouble with this idea is that Afghanistan has been a cohesive nation for several hundred years, and it goes on to talk more about that and uh, and sort of the the fallacy that's implicit in in this propaganda and. It goes on to say that the really bad joke was included because when Wilson retired from the House of Representatives, he was so copacetic to Pakistani views that he went to work for Pakistan as their lobbyist at the rate of $360,000 per year. Not bad for an old skirt chase and boozer. Um, <laughs> and, and uh, you know, I mean, so so literally Charlie Wilson goes to work for Pakistan after, um, after the events of this movie, which, you know, oddly enough, they don't. Uh, tell us about in the movie um and and they also directly address the 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 inaccuracy about masood that we talked about earlier the fact that less than one percent of the funding went to him more than 40 percent went to hekmatiar but they specifically mentioned masood um and it says here in this article quote the masood inaccuracy was included because tom hanks 
quote, just can't deal with this 9-11 thing, end quote. And because Wilson and Joanne <laughs> Herring, played by Julia Roberts in the movie, threatened legal action after reading an earlier, more honest draft of the screenplay by Aaron Sorkin. Herring was Pakistan's honorary consul to the United States in the 1980s, and as such, enlisted Wilson into supporting the cause of the Afghans. Neither Wilson nor Herring wants history to remember them for their contributions to the events that culminated in 9-11. So, again, still a bit of that blowback meme, but still very, very interesting in terms of the, the movie itself and uh, some of the influences on it. Tom Hanks just can't deal with this 9-11 thing might be a good tagline for the, the movie itself when you think about it. <laughs> oh, yeah, I know. I, it, 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 that's what I mean. I mean, it's, you know, everything in this movie is so deliberate. And when you, when you start kind of uh, dissecting it and, uh, yeah, no, I, I remember... Um, just in preparation for this, reading through things, and and of course, uh, you know, Joanne Herring has this quote where she says, uh, you know, I was doing the right thing, and and I can't predict the future, so don't blame me for nine eleven. And it's you know, it's sort of just like, well, then maybe, you know, uh, very wealthy socialites in Houston shouldn't be setting foreign policy for America. You know, that maybe that's right. They shouldn't be that's traveling. right. And that reminds me, sorry, to, sorry to cut in, but I remember, I just remembered now in the movie, actually, Tom Tom Hanks, Charlie Wilson, actually turns to to someone sitting next to him and says, "I'm I'm on the verge of violating the Logan Act," which I thought was yes. that was an interesting little reference and very telling because I was actually thinking that as he was going, for example, to Pakistan to meet the president of Pakistan on an arrangement by this this private citizen. And Joanne Herring that had, I mean, uh, obviously he was doing it in an official capacity, but um, was he representing the U.S.? I mean, to what extent had that been right. authorized? I mean, I know the Logan Act has never been used in, in modern history at any rate to prosecute anyone. So I, I, I know it's kind of a bit of a red herring, but still, I mean, it, when you have... Well well, just, just just on that, um, you know, there's a scene early on in the movie where a constituent of Charlie's comes into his office and is screaming bloody murder that he can't uh, put a, a crash, a nativity scene in front of a firehouse because the ACLU is upset about this because it's it's public land. Uh, and, and, you know, Charlie Wilson goes through this whole thing about how, oh, uh, you know, uh, I, I can't influence the judge. That would be breaking the law. And then, you know, again, a few, few weeks later, he's out lobbying and, and uh, violating the Logan Act. And so, you know, he can't tell a judge within his own constituency to to kind of back off of this. But he can fund the, the largest covert operation in the, you know, the history of the world. And again, that's this sort of... Uh, not double speak, but this kind of this this flip flopping kind of thing that that goes on throughout right. the entire mm -hmm. movie. Yeah, um, you know, you know, and and again, it's uh, like in so many of these Hollywood movies, especially the the sort of the good time Charlie type character. You know, it, it, him doing cocaine, that's fine. You know, he can he can womanize, he can call his press secretary jailbait that's okay you know but if anyone else did that oh they, they would be you know a drug addict or, or they would be evil but it's okay when charlie does it you know and, and the same sort of thing that well you know you couldn't influence an american judge that would be wrong but yeah influencing uh, president uh, zia to uh, you know fund the uh, you know mujahideen that's okay that, that's all right Right. And and that's exactly why I said sleazy congressman with a heart of gold at the in, in at the top of the, the podcast here, because that's exactly kind of the, the, the way that they treated it. It's this, you know, I mean, it's kind of the, the charming rogue, the scamp yeah. who, you know, breaks the rules here and there. But but underneath, he's a good guy. And, he you know, he, he cares about what's important. And I think they wanted to insert that very early on in the story. And that's clearly what that scene about the uh, the, 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 the 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 crash in the uh, in front of the firehouse is all about. Mm. All right, excellent. Well, um, uh, yeah, exactly right. So this, of course, gets to the aspects of production, and I don't know how deeply you've looked into this, but of course this was produced or co-produced by Tom Hanks. Um, you know, America's national treasure. Everybody loves Tom Hanks, um, right, who's right. <laughs> such an upstanding guy. And um, for whatever his act acting abilities or, or general lovableness or what have you, um, it's pretty interesting some of the projects he's been involved in in recent years, including, of course, Charlie Wilson's War, but... Also, there was an, uh, a project that he was trying to bring, I believe, to TV as, as some kind of miniseries or something like that um, regarding JFK that was going to be, I, I believe, based on the work of Vincent Bugliosi, who, of course, is just a basic lone gun, gunman um, theorist, uh, just yes. a, a total nut. Um, 
who denies any sort of conspiracy in JFK. And Tom Hanks was going to bring this, try to bring this to TV for the 50th anniversary, and thankfully did not. But uh, uh, I, I haven't looked deeply into this. I don't know a lot of the details. But uh, do you know any more about what Tom Hanks or any, I mean, what is his connections to this? Why is he so interested in these political subjects all of a sudden? I I am not sure exactly why he is so particularly interested. I mean, one can speculate, and I think that Tom Hanks represents part of that sort of uh, clique within Hollywood that is very concerned with portraying a particular image of America and a particular image of history. Um, like Tom Hanks and the, uh, produced Charlie Wilson's War along with a guy called Gary Goetzman, who also produced... Um, Game Change and Band of Brothers and The Pacific and John Adams and all these historical dramas about America that, you know, Band of Brothers, you know, oh yeah, the Nazis are evil and, and everything America did was wonderful and, you know, uh, the sort of standard kind of propaganda that we hear. And uh, Gary Goetzman, along with Tom Hanks, also produced Parkland, which is the movie that is based on Bugliosi's book. And, I, you know, I think that they're just kind of part of this uh, and there are other people, of course, Angelina Jolie is very big in this. Um, you know, there are lots of different people, but I, I, yeah, I think that they're just, that's kind of part of the, the Hollywood industrial complex and this incestuous relationship between the government and Hollywood in, you know, producing these these movies with lots of big name actors. And in that movie Parkland, I mean, it's like every famous actor you could think of is in it. And uh, I think they're just sort of designed in order to uh, confuse people and to – I think that, you know, this day and age, especially JFK, um, you know, most people don't buy this this lone gunman story anymore. I mean it's so just patently false on, on, on face value. But I think that especially – you know, this movie came out just a, a few years ago or a year ago or so. And I mean there is a groundswell of – you know, support for the the idea that this that there was more to this than just Oswald, and I think that when that happens, then you get these various Hollywood types who uh, just get all up in a tizzy about that for whatever reason. And uh, you know, again, they're they're offered lots of money. They get to you know they get to meet with the various politicians and 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 uh, you know different media figures, and it's fun, you know, and they, they get a lot of money to make these movies, you know, and and. Uh, uh, essentially, they're they're all kind of propaganda, and if you just watch the the Parkland trailer, I mean, it's just it's ridiculous, you know. Especially when when movies like JFK and 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 again, like I said, there is you know like recent polls put it at like fifty percent of Americans don't believe the official narrative in terms of the JFK assassination, and nor should they. But yes, you're 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 right about that, and yet the the overwhelming the, the completely monolithic view that's propounded in all of the mainstream media of course is the exact opposite i wonder how that system works you know i forgot to look before starting this podcast but uh was there defense department or other types of direct government involvement in this movie oh yeah absolutely i mean there's obviously there was you know defense department stuff but i think even more importantly is a character uh, called chase brandon who was involved in charlie wilson's war as a cia advisor and chase brandon um, for anyone who doesn't know, is uh, was a longtime CIA operative, foreign operative, um, all over that region in the Middle East and elsewhere. And he later became the chief liaison between the CIA and uh, Hollywood, you know, the entertainment industry liaison, basically. And Chase Brandon has been involved in all sorts of different movies, I believe Enemy of the State, um, lots of different movies. And you can go to his own website and he lists all sorts of movies that he's been involved in. But this is a, a really kind of shady character. Um, you know, I mean, just any any kind of CIA operative who then sort of hobnobs around Hollywood, and I think he even lived in Hollywood for a while. But yeah, he was deeply involved in Charlie Wilson's War, and you can believe if he was involved, then certainly there is a very particular story and a very particular narrative that they want to portray. And I think that does come across a lot in the movie. It certainly does. And I think, uh, if I remember correctly, I believe Chase Brandon was also involved in Enemy of the State, which we talked about in a previous edition of this podcast. So, yeah, he mm. definitely made the rounds during his time as the uh, the entertainment liaison there. Um, and just to 
further the narrative a little bit. What's Tom Hanks' latest project or something that he's been linked to at any rate, whatever that means, whether or not it ever ends up coming to light, is apparently a a CIA thriller that Spielberg may end up directing. Um, (laughs) So there you go. It's uh, yeah. Oh, and then he was just in uh, what's it? Uh, Captain Phillips. Uh, you know, another right. one of these sort of whitewashes yes. of, of not only Somalia, but that whole conflict as well. I am so glad I'm so disconnected from popular culture <laughs> that I don't even, I, I've heard of a lot of these movies, but I don't even know what they're about. So <laughs> thankfully. Um, yeah, I don't think you're missing out too much. Yeah, perhaps it should be my, my job, my duty to actually slog through this, which I'm doing with things like Charlie Wilson's War. And I'm glad you made me do that because uh, honestly, it was interesting to see this this propaganda happening. And I'm glad I did it in the conscious light of knowing some of the details of this story so that I was not... Um, suckered in by it as as i say i probably would have been if i'd watched this in you know 2005 2006 somewhere in that time frame um all right uh i guess the other part of this of course this was a a screenplay by aaron sorkin as i think we mentioned earlier but it was based on a book um by someone whose name is going to escape my memory uh george krill that would be it something like that yes did you read the book no, I have not read the book, no. No, I have not either, but in some of the articles I was reading, it did say that there were some some important differences, um, including the, the fact that uh, in the book, I believe it was mentioned that Charlie Wilson suspected uh, uh, Zvi Rafia, the, the Israeli that he works with um, to, to help secure the weapons, uh, was a Mossad agent, um, so th- that... That uh, that suspicion was aired apparently in the book, but not in the movie. Although interestingly, there was that scene where uh, Tom Hanks, Charlie Wilson's in the bathtub, and he's he's he admits basically he says flat out that he's a uh, a congressman for Israel on the Hill, and they talk quite yes, openly yeah. about that. There are a few. I mean, it, it, there are a few interesting scenes in this movie that are kind of just slip by as just sort of you know one-liners or something but yeah. that, are, that are interesting like that scene or um or like the the bugging of the uh, the, the bottle scene or um uh it, the the scene where he's on the plane with uh, what's her name the uh, julie roberts <laughs> i forget her name already and uh he's he's telling her the story about uh, when he was a boy and or i don't know if he's telling her oh, yeah, he's telling yeah, someone yeah, the story yeah, about when um, he was a boy and the, yes, the his yeah. neighbor it's, kills his it's dog his, it's chief of staff that's yes. right yes his chief of staff and and he's telling her about the time that his neighbor killed his dog and what he did in retribution and it's this right. interesting story about how how so he went to the, the the black part of town and drove 96 people to the polls on the day of this uh, this congress and cuz it was the neighbor was was a congressman or some sort of representative. I think he was head of like the the town council, right? Like, some, yes, exactly. Some elected office like that, and and so he personally drove a bunch of people to the polls the, on the day of this person's reelection, and actually helped to get him um, unelected, uh, <laughs> dethroned, I guess. Right. And 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 he says that that was the day I, lo- I learned to love America, or something like that. Right. Which I, is, I mean, that's an interesting story in itself, because of course it does say an awful lot about about the representative democracy system as a whole, doesn't it? And sort of mm. what underlies it and what it's, you know, what it's capable of, you know, as a, as a tool, basically, for people who can get people to vote. Um, it's, I mean, that's, uh, that's pretty blatant there. I, so I thought there were a few scenes like that, that if you, if you thought about them at a more, at, at a deeper level than what the filmmakers were intending you to think about them, I think they actually, you know, make some interesting points. But of course, I, I think that was kind of, glossed over i don't think they were really expecting a lot of the audience to pick up on that you know i i almost see that and and you see this in a lot of these movies be it you know like wag the dog or or some of these other movies there are uh, these little things that are thrown in there and i almost see that as those are kind of deliberately there and um you know we see that with the, the you know they do make mention of israel quite a bit in this movie and it is kind of brushed aside but um, you know, I think they, they kind of put in some of these things to be like, yeah, you know, part, you know, there is some truth to a lot of this. And, and obviously, you know, this is a Hollywood movie, but they'll put in little kind of nuggets of things for people to kind of be, oh, well, maybe, maybe there is something more to this or, or, uh, y- y- you know, how, how powerful is the CIA in reality? And I think that the Israel stuff is really interesting. And that's another thing that they like never, ever touch on really in the movie. But, you know, we've got this supposed, 
oh, well, I, I can't work with Egypt. And, and of course, you know, they, they just signed uh, the Camp David peace accords. And of course, you know, at this point in time, Israel and Egypt were working very intimately together behind the scenes, of course. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, 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 this idea that they wouldn't, they wouldn't send weapons to Afghanistan when, uh, you know, again, in the background, Iran-Contra, Israel was selling weapons to Iran at that whole time. So yeah, there are a lot of these little interesting nuggets thrown in there. And that one scene on the plane is so bizarre. You know, he tells his story and I guess, you know, we're, we're supposed to think that's, that's a good thing in America that if you can just, you know, convince enough people to vote one way that that's, uh, you know, for, for, for purely reasons that are, are, you know, personal, that that's a good thing. And then, you know, of course, it's like the next scene is, is him lobbying to send, you know, stinger missiles into Afghanistan. It's right. Like, yeah. Again, it's if that that's that's some sort of that's exactly. Yeah. No, I, I, I think I don't, I don't know. I think that's intended as a scene that sort of to develop his um, his sleazier side so that we understand that mm. the reason that he's in office, the reason that he he went into government is because he saw the you know sort of the power that can come from 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 that action of convincing people to vote one way or another, right? So he he kind of sees the, I mean he he, he approaches it from that corrupt position. I I assume that was kind of meant in that context, but again it is it is kind of a bizarre scene, and uh, you know, in in a movie that's already as you say a bit a bit long, they could have cut here and there. I, it's kind of a bizarre scene to leave in there. Yeah. What did you uh, What did you think of uh, Rudy Giuliani making a, a brief appearance? In <laughs> yes, the movie? he was. He was the one prosecuting that uh, Justice Department task force. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. Again, I I read it as a nine eleven reference, right? I mean, it has to be. It certainly. Yeah, right. In, in exactly. a post nine eleven world, there's no way that we can hear Giuliani and not think, you know, the nine eleven mayor or whatever propaganda he wanted to to be associated yeah. with. Yeah. Yeah. No. So I, I, again, I, I, I and I don't know if that was. I, 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 I'm not sure if that investigation was, was in real life. I'm sure there was probably something like it, but I'm not sure if Giuliani, you know, prosecuted it. I'm guessing that that was actually I think happened he did. No, life. I think that that, oh, that whole thing was a, a real thing. And, and, and I'd seen quotes of Charlie Wilson talking about his uh, alleged cocaine use. And he gave these very, you know, cheeky, non-denial denials where he basically said, yeah, I was doing cocaine that whole time. And, you know, <laughs> but, you know, a good time, Charlie. It's OK. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I would, you know, and, and again, and just to, to kind of uh, just reiterate this idea that oh it's it's charlie wilson's war and this whole thing um you sent me an article that i happen to also just be looking at by uh robert perry and he talks about this unearthed um memo that he found in like the national security archives and it's between a guy called robert mcfarlane who was national security advisor to reagan and it was a note that he sent to the chief cia propaganda officer walter raymond jr where he basically says we got to bring in this guy Wilson into the operation because he could, you know, secure a lot of money and essentially put a liberal face on this whole operation. So it seems that, you know, from the very beginning, there was this um, effort to uh, obscure what was really going on again in the, in, in the largest covert operation in, in U S history. And I found that really interesting. And again, this idea that, you know, yeah, bring him in. And sure, you know, he can raise a lot of money for us. But of course, there's going to be a lot more money, you know, pouring into this. And, and right. he can the kind public of face. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, and again, and now we're talking about uh, Operation Cyclone as if this is Charlie Wilson's, you know, whole thing. This right. is his life's work. Exactly right. No, that's I mean, that's it. I mean, the key, the key to the movie is in the title. There's there's not much secret here that they are trying to make this quite explicitly um charlie wilson's war and of course it is not i mean that's that's the big the big lie uh, that that kind of pervades everything at this movie and you know if if anything else you know makes sense it has to it has to start there um and of course it doesn't so yeah exactly right all right um i guess the the last part thing that i'd like to to think about um is obviously i mean the the blowback idea at the end and then you know kind of the 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 understanding, obviously, that the audience in 2007 and later has when watching this movie is uh, obviously 9-11. And there are no explicit, you know, references or, or anything. There's, as I say, Rudy Giuliani, you know, makes that, that mm. n- there's the name drop there and, and things like that. And, and I believe in, in one of the last scenes where Gust is talking to, uh, to Charlie, 
I, I believe when he's telling him that Zen Buddhists, uh, the Buddha, Zen master yeah. story, and uh, and uh, I think it's in that scene at any rate where y- you say something about you know we'll we'll see we'll see what what's to come with with all of this, and and, you, and I, I noticed in the background you can hear a plane going overhead, and I I thought that was. <laughs> Uh, you know, I thought that was trying to make kind of a reference, like you know, let's let's encode nine eleven in the scene, right? Mm. Um, any anything else you'd like to say about the blowback aspect of it and the the ending with Charlie Wilson's quote quote there? Yeah, I I know. I mean, you know, as we were saying at the very beginning, when I saw this movie, I definitely had doubts in my mind, and it in two thousand seven, I think a lot of people started to kind of come around to this idea that. You know, perhaps this this constant stream that we heard from the mainstream media that there's absolutely no connection whatsoever, no connection between the CIA and Al Qaeda. You know, yes, maybe maybe Pakistan gave money to the Taliban, but not to Al Qaeda, not to Al Qaeda. Um, of course, you know, ignoring the fact that Saudi Arabia was, was pouring lots of money into Afghanistan, which is very rarely mentioned in this movie. But yeah, I, I think uh, you know, and that that last quote is just. You know, part uh, this quote by Charlie Wilson about how we screwed up, and you know, but it was it was glorious, and we changed the world uh, again, as if uh, you know, defeating the Soviets in in a war that they were probably always going to lose is somehow changing the world. Right. But yeah, I think this 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 the the blowback thing is is very profound, and as I said, you know, this 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 was one of these movies that kind of convinced me for a while that okay, you know, these these nagging questions, these weird issues that I have. I don't really need to look at them anymore because I, I saw this movie and, and, you know, it was funny and, and you know, Tom mm-hmm. Hanks is, is surrounded by beautiful women and, and you know, he, he has this great, great life. But, yeah, I think it, um, it, it's just another one of these examples of, uh, you know, liberal Hollywood coming in and, and giving us this, uh, this very, you know, peachy keen, wonderful sort of a thing. And, and ultimately, I think that, you know, it, 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 does, it does sort of push the narrative of blowback, um, you know, in the sense that uh, we see Charlie trying to get a million dollars for schools and he's totally shot down and, and seemingly that's how, uh, as, as Gus puts it, that's why the crazies are are pouring into Kandahar. Um, but, I, you know, and I, I, it definitely pushes the blowback thing. And I think uh, on top of that, it also pushes this notion that, you know, blowback aside, it was still the right thing to do. And that's ultimately what Brzezinski was was saying uh, in that in that uh, interview that he gave to the French newspaper was that yeah sure maybe maybe we did cause Al Qaeda and all these other things but we got rid of those commies so it's all okay you know I mean it, it doesn't matter uh, whatever horrible things we did sure maybe now you know heroin is cheaper than it's ever been and and more readily available but we got rid of the those you know evil you know, uh, you know, God killing communists. So it, yeah. it's all fine, yeah. you know? And, um, I think that that's, that's the other kind of major message. And I think also the other part of this movie, uh, that's profoundly important to understand is that it also continues this kind of mainstream narrative that Islamic terrorism came out of nowhere and that it suddenly, mm. you know, came on the yeah. stage just as the Soviet Union was falling. So mm. again, as one boogeyman disappears, another one rises out of the ashes. And, you know, we never, you know, th- there's no mention whatsoever of Islamic terrorism or fundamentalism or, or anything of that nature whatsoever in the movie. And I think that, again, kind of keeps up this narrative. And, and well, you know, yeah, but I, again, with the Doc Long scene and where he's shouting Allah Akbar at yes, the end, and yeah. I think you get the idea, oh, you know, something dangerous is happening. Right, there. could be, could be, yeah, yeah, something is lurking but, but behind, uh, you know, the, the curtains a little bit. But, um, yeah, I do think that it, it just also reinforces this idea that, yes, communism disappeared, but now Islamic terrorism is the new thing without any context between, yeah, uh, yeah. well, uh, you know, is there con- is there a connection between these two? Right, right. You know, did, yeah. did one sort of, uh, you know, was one, were they both created? Who knows? <laughs> right, right. No, exactly. Of course, that's not explored at all. Well, I, as you were talking there, it just occurred to me, I'm not sure if we articulated this in our podcast on blowback, but we should have. Um, I, I just, I, I, one of the things that's, that's so deeply establishment supporting about the idea of blowback is that fundamentally the idea is that, yes, it was, you know, it was a good 
a good thing that happened that led to a bad thing happening. And and the idea is if we could have just interfered in Afghanistan in a different way, in a way that didn't cause, you know, the the, the blowback that led to 9-11, then, then it would be good. I mean, that's one of the insidious parts of the whole blowback narrative that, mm. again, I'm not sure we properly or i'm not sure i properly articulated in our podcast all right okay we've been talking for a very long time now and i think i think we've probably dissected a lot of this movie although there's probably still a bit more to go and uh we'll we'll ask for the listeners uh, help on that uh, in the uh the feedback section next month but for the moment we've we've dissected this story and and uh and and we've subjected a lot of the boys and girls in the class here to watching this movie in preparation for this episode <laughs> so i'm sorry to inflict the propaganda on you but i think it is important to to dissect the propaganda and see how it works to so that we uh we aren't conditioned to buy it um but as counter propaganda as as deprogramming um is there any movie documentary book that you would recommend that tells the real story about afghanistan Oh boy! Um, off the top of my head right now, I'm not sure exactly if there's any one thing that I can really point to. I mean, I feel like that when I started exploring this, it was a whole range of things. Uh, you know, a lot of your episodes, James, um, dealing with 9/11 and, and other things like that. Um, I will say, I mean, if you if you're interested at all, like in you know, I mean, e- even in mainstream books like uh, Amid Rashid's book Taliban. I mean, he talks a, a lot about. He has a whole chapter devoted to uh, Bin Laden and his connections to the CIA, and and that's a, a mainstream book that I read in college. You know, hmm. and, and of course that chapter is always uh, omitted. Um, <laughs> I would say actually, if people are really interested in, it, uh, and it's a lot, but just um, the History Commons website is is really excellent mm, in. Yeah in dissecting uh, timelines for all of this. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I would definitely, you know, encourage people to look at uh, the Al-Kifa Refugee Center, which is mm-hmm. not mentioned at all mm-hmm. in this movie, mm-hmm. yeah. and uh, was operating throughout this whole, you know, was deeply involved in this whole operation. Um, no, and I'm trying to think right now off the top of my head, and I can't. Yeah, now I, I share your frustration because I've pieced this together from many, many different sources over the years, so it is difficult to think. But, uh, but at, at the very least, yes, I think you're you're exactly right. The the um, the History Commons timeline is one is a resource that I don't promote nearly enough because it really is so valuable, especially on Afghanistan on things like Afghanistan nine eleven. Uh, just such a valuable resource. So, uh, so we'll put a link into that. And if there's anything else you can think of um, before this uh, gets posted, I'll... yeah, I'll send it your way. Okay, excellent. And of course, that will all be in the show notes at CorbettReport.com. Let's direct people once again to Porkins Policy Review. And since we've always got new listeners tuning in, why don't you just tell them a little bit about the site? Yeah, so the, the website is PorkinsPolicyReview.wordpress.com. I know it's a pretty irritating URL right now, um, but yeah, that's that's my website, and that's um, and you can go there and you can find all of my podcasts. Um, we have quite a few right now, um, and uh, you know, lots of new listeners all the time. And we cover a range of topics, a lot on on terrorism and geopolitics. Um, uh, the drug war in Mexico, um, and I also do I do cover a lot of um, things like this, like film and 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 uh, you know pop culture and and how that influences and and the, and the you know predictive programming and propaganda involved in that as well. So um, yeah, I you know definitely come check out the website. And I've had James on the, on the show before, and um, yeah. <laughs> and many, many other interesting guests and, and yourself besides. Oh, and, yeah, yeah. And let me just say, I, I know that you uh, said in a uh, not-too-distant-ago uh, podcast, you said uh, so- something to the fact you were, uh, you, you were lamenting that in the current state of the alt-media, there aren't a lot of really in-depth investigative work yeah. going on anymore. There's, there's just sort of surface kind of gloss of, of daily events, but there isn't a lot of um, really well-done investigative work. And I agree, I, I lament with, uh, with you on that point. I, I, I've seen sort of a deterioration in some of the quality in, in the alt-media across the board, but I will say that your podcast is one of those, those beacons out there that really is doing some of that great investigative work. So if people haven't checked it out yet, please do so. And of course, again, that will be linked up in the show notes as well. So Pierce Redmond, thank you so much for your time today oh thank you so much james it was a pleasure talking with you again all right ladies and gentlemen there he goes pierce redmond once again of the very excellent porkins policy review i really do hope you will check that out and that will do it for this month's edition of film literature in the new world order and we will get to what we're up uh, what is up on the plate for next month in just a moment but before we do so as always we we have the mailbag that uh, we always encourage and invite your feedback 
on these conversations. And of course, we always try to read some representative sample of that feedback at the end of each episode for the month before. So last month, we were talking to Will Morgan about Aldous Huxley's Island. And although we did get several uh, responses in uh, via the contact form and corporate report to that conversation... Unfortunately, I don't think I got a single response from anyone who actually read the book. Um, I suppose I stand to be corrected on that, but it seems like every single person said they hadn't actually read the book. So it's kind of a strange book club we're running here. But there was one piece of feedback that I did want to highlight specifically. It was from uh, Julian who wrote in to say, I just caught your book review of Island by Aldous Huxley. You might be interested to know that Huxley had a series of hypnotic encounters with Milton Erickson, MD, the father of brief psychotherapy and naturalist hypnotic techniques. Erickson set up a time travel meeting between a 23 and 52-year-old Huxley in which each questioned the validity of each other's existence. It's all described in Erickson's painstaking style. And uh, he sent in the link, uh, Julian sent in the link to Erickson's Collected Papers, Volume 1, and yes, around page 83 on, you can, for yourself, read this very bizarre little ex- uh, uh, anecdote about this experiment that Erickson allegedly conducted with Huxley, and again, putting him further and further into a uh, meditative state where he could reach some sort of hypnotic uh, uh, awareness of of some realm in which he goes and back in time and meets a a previous incarnation of himself. All very, very strange. Um, I'm not sure it amounts to anything of significance, but at any rate, I will put the link in the show notes so you can go and check it out for yourself. So, Julian, thank you for that. Thank you also to Daniel, who wrote in, actually before this month's conversation, with a uh, with some some references and links that he thought would be interesting for Charlie Wilson's War. And we did use, actually, one of those links, the, uh, the global research link that he sent in, uh, Hollywood's Dangerous Afghan Illusion. Um, so thank you very much, uh, Daniel, for that. And uh, I, again, I'm always happy to, uh, to accept and, and to look at uh, any, any suggestions that people have for upcoming episodes in terms of uh, when we announce what we're actually looking at. If you have any resources on that particular book or movie, by all means, let me know. Once again, of course, you can reach us at CorbettReport.com so you can uh, send in your feedback about this month's conversation, hopefully after having actually watched Charlie Wilson's War, and uh, I'll be happy to read some of that feedback on air at the end of next month's episode. And of course, that brings us to the question, what is next month's Film Literature in the New World Order episode all about? And it turns out we are going to be reading B.F. Skinner's Walden 2. B.F. Skinner's Walden 2. So, of course, the link to that book will be in the show notes so you can check out more information about it. And we will be talking about that on July 21st, 2014 with an interesting guest who will remain nameless for now. So looking forward to talking to you then. Once again, this is James Corbett of CorbettReport.com. And please do go to CorbettReport.com for all the show notes. Also, please note that the Film Literature in the New World Order podcast is up on iTunes for people uh, who are interested in who use iTunes and who want to subscribe via the iTunes store. Of course, this podcast is no longer on the podcast feed of CorbettReport.com. It's now on its own separate podcast feed. That feed is also available up on iTunes. I'll put the link in the show notes, so please do check that out. And please do rate and review and uh, and share that link to the iTunes store version of this podcast, because that apparently does help to get it some more visibility on the iTunes store. On that note, once again, this is James Corbett of CorbettReport.com. Thanking you for joining me. Hoping to talk to you again real soon.